think about the niche like that you're most involved in personally like find products like no one knows that better than you right so it's like focus on something you're good at you like what do you see like innovate in that market because trying to find that niche like these people just trying to sell like hot products hot drop shipping products for like two weeks before everyone try to sell is like that's not going to do it for you long term you're listening to Ecomonics, a Debutify podcast, your resource for one-of-a-kind insights into the world of e-commerce and business in the modern age. This is Joseph. I'll be presenting a wealth of industry knowledge from interviews with successful business people and our own state-of-the-art research. Your time is valuable, so let's go. Fair warning, this episode of Ecomonics, a Debutify podcast, contains spoilers for the popular television show Dragon's Den, of which today's guest, Torin Hoffman, was featured on. How can a show like that be spoiled? <laughs> Funny you should ask. I, <laughs> I was wondering about that myself. In addition to the aforementioned revelation, this episode also proves what we are capable of when we go online, to learn something kept obscure by design and be compelled to then teach it ourselves. Torin Hoffman you checked out our show, so you know what's about to happen. It is good to have you here on Ecomonics. Thank you for being here. How are you doing today, man? How are you feeling? Yeah, no, appreciate you having me. Excited to be here and uh, yeah, ready to get into it. Excellent. So our tradition, it's its a great one. It's my, uh, it's my favorite tradition across most of the podcast interview space and, and so on and so forth. Tell us who you are and what do you do? Sure. Yeah. So my name is Torin Hoffman. I guess I would consider myself an e-commerce entrepreneur. Basically, I've done everything under the sun, so I don't know if you would, uh, and I'm still doing everything under the sun. So um, I came out of university with a marketing degree, started a, a startup basically that exploded to about a million million dollars a year in the first couple of years, uh, which really exploded my online e-commerce vision and, and advertising knowledge. Uh, since then, uh, I exited at the perfect time just about a year ago, bought my first rental property, and now... I'm dabbling in a little bit of YouTube, trying to give back to what I know and and, and uh, continue that uh, online learning for myself. Even so, sounds good. So you, uh, so you said you you graduated with a marketing degree. Now, despite this being an e-commerce show, that's actually more the exception than the norm because a lot of the people who got into the space have a wide variety of experiences. People in the financial sector. Uh, one guy studied chemistry. I don't think I've talked to any military vets. It's not yet, though, though. I know there is one out there, but uh, it'll come up. So the first thing I want to know about what you, what you maybe you were anticipating with getting into marketing is that was e-commerce so prevalent a presence in your, uh, in your perspective that you thought you were going to get into it, or did you think you were going to go more of like a a traditional uh, brick and mortar route? Yeah, I th- so I'm. I consider myself a millennial, so I'm very similar age to yourself. So even back then, uh, e-commerce, like when I was in high school, I guess we would say this is early two thousands. Um, that like there, like these, these business models didn't really exist. Right. So I, I was thinking about going to school for business because I come from a business background. My parents have both been entrepreneurs and, and sort of, I knew I wanted to go do business. And so traditionally, right, let's go to business school, sort of learn, all the different finance, accounting, um, uh, your marketing, and, and choose sort of where you want to go from there. Uh, but once I got into university, 
it was more about the social skills and the networking and the basically ability to figure out the room and decide what you want to do in a business setting. And so it was a lot of intangible skills I think I learned because coming out of university and doing what I'm doing now, I didn't even learn a single thing <laughs> from university that I'm doing now, right? So I would say like if you want to go in e-commerce, experience like Trump's university, but um, I initially met my first business partner in in university, so I wouldn't I wouldn't take that back because it's led to where I am today. Yeah, I I, I know that there's I, there's some uh, value out of uh, his his art of the deal book because I think he models a lot of it after like the Sun Tzu model, but instead of war, it's it's business. Right. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I, do, I do have a lot of respect for the guy, but I know that's like it opens up a whole can of worms for a lot of people. So uh, I, I appreciate your perspective on it yeah. all the same. There was, there was one part of it. Uh, so you said figure out the room. Now that, now that uh, uh, stuck out to me because when I hear like, uh, you know, figure out the room, reading the room, uh, I associate that with a performative background, like for people who are, say they're on stage, um, public speaking, right. stuff like that. They're trying to get a sense of like, what's the vibe and what's the energy. Was this something, was, was, it, was it a lecture that they actually taught you on? Or what did you thought it was, what did you think? So yeah, just, uh, I went in a lot of entrepreneur classes and I was a part of a lot of pitch competitions in university. And so on stage has basically part of reading the room, but True. in terms of reading the room and in business, uh, for me, I, I more so meant you got to figure out who you need to know, who to rub shoulders with. And a lot of people are quite nervous or not confident in themselves, basically to try to figure out who you need to talk to, go shake as many hands as you can, figure out like the people that maybe are investors, right? Or looking to find a new venture. So basically reading the room, trying to figure out who you need to talk to, who you need to get in front of and not being afraid to shake their hand and say, this is what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Me with, uh, I, I, I do come from like the somewhat of a film background. Like I did uh, background acting for a couple of years and what I cool. noticed is there were two ways to network. There was a networking event. So we would go to, um, you know, they were once a month, make it out to as many as we could. Uh, and and it, and it was a lot of that. It was trying to figure out what's, you know, the best way to get something out of this. And I think for me, I, I had an issue with it because of that pretense, because everybody understood what was the the intention there. But when I would be in in background holding, now, for, for those of you who don't know, when we're in holding, we're actually like sitting around at tables waiting to be called on to set. Sometimes we can be sitting at tables for five hours, six hours. So everybody that we're sitting within the table, we're getting to know uh, quite uh, quite intimately. In fact, my girlfriend of now um, uh, two plus years, we met through sitting at a table in background together. Sitting at a table, yeah. Yeah. And I found that to be... A, a more, for, at least for me, a more effective way of networking because the pre there wasn't the pretense; it came up organically. And I'm wondering if there's an equivalent in your experience where you've managed to make a, arrangements or you've managed to have connections that just kind of more came up through you living your life and doing what it is you got to do. No, yeah, and I totally agree. And you know what? Like when networking events come up, it's I'm not a fan. Like who wants to just go meet strangers, right, and feel awkward? True. So I totally get that. This was part of like your degree, your university degree. It's part of networking. Like you have to go to these events. You have to do this. You have to pitch, right? Like it's part of the whole experience. So, but with that being said, especially today in the world we're living with Corona, but the networking we can do now is all from my phone. Like I can literally reach 200, 300 people in an hour with the same message, right? Just trying to reach out to them. And so that kind of networking is 
just trying to be friendly, just trying to talk business, right? And just trying to get to the people that you want to get to. And and a lot of the times I feel like people are too nervous that they'll get shut down or or what we mentioned before. It's being that professional, professionally annoying. It's try it's basically trying to get where you need to without like completely burning that bridge. So yeah, I I I'll I'll go on the record and say I'm I, I'm I have definitely in a more introverted than extroverted. Uh, it was difficult enough, for me yeah. for a while. I was trying to model the the Don Draper style because I really got into Mad Men, Fair, where yeah. I would just sit at the bar and just kind of <laughs> like pose and see yeah. if anybody comes up. To me. Uh, the only person yeah. it worked once, where somebody comes up to me and says, "So you're just going to sit here and let people come to you?" I'm like, "Yeah, all yeah. right, good luck." Nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. So, um, one thing I'm, I'm curious about regarding your experience is that you know, so you're so you're a millennial as well, and I'm going to ask you uh, how old you are, and it's I don't know, it's not I don't know, it feels um, sometimes it seems uncomfortable to ask that question, but it's really important because in millennial time, every year counts. So I'm 31 years old. Uh, where are you right now? I'm 28. So I was born in '92. You're yeah. 28. Okay, so that's about four years. That might not seem like a lot, I think, for people who are like, I don't know, from the from the Great Depression. But like, I think for us, um, those four years can actually uh, mark a lot of significant changes on the Internet. I think so, too. So yeah. I remember for me, like my my early experiences on the Internet was uh, a Nintendo fan site, uh, GeoCities uh, and and websites where stick figures would do all this manner of unholy things to each other. Um, do you remember what like what were some of your early experiences on the internet? Not necessarily, you know, e-commerce related, but like what were some of the things that imprinted onto you? I, I can't remember if it was junior high. I think it was junior high. Do you remember the social platform Nexopia? Nexopia doesn't <sighs> ring a bell. Do you remember Zanga? Yeah. That rings a bell to okay, me. Yeah. yeah. So it was, it was it was hilarious because it was so archaic. You ha- it was like a social platform that you literally picked your top five friends and displayed it on your page, like who your top five friends were. So it was like a popularity contest, right? Like who would put their top five friends on whose pages. So I think that was like one of my, the youngest and like, then the next thing I couldn't believe, and I grew up in the country, so we had to even dial up internet at that point too. So dialing up internet to just use it it, within my family's house for like an hour or whatever of my time, right? Right. Uh, it was quite fun, but I think webcam was the first time it ever like blew my mind is when I hooked up like a uh, yeah. webcam so early and was like, no way, like talking in real time. And yeah, most of the time it was probably to girls in high school, right? It'd be like, we're talking to webcam. So yeah. Awesome. I, I only brought this up one other time and I'm trying not to uh, bring it up uh, too often on this show, but I remember like the very first experience I had with the internet, we were at my uh, one of my cousin's houses and he had gotten into one of those, uh, chat boards. I think it was ICQ at the time. And okay, yeah. first, first thing that ended up happening is I ended up getting into a fight with somebody. So I typed a F U in full and then I exited the chat, exited the chat. Nice. Yeah. Classic. Uh, yeah. What is it? Chat roulette now? So chat roulette. Yeah, yeah. I know somebody, um, he, he married somebody that he met on Omega. No, that the internet. Really? It, yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, I, I was one of the, the groomsmen. It was, <laughs> That's awesome. Wild. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. Now, here's the interesting thing about the internet is that even early on, it it fills the void that reality or the mortal coil seems to be lacking. And and I say like Nintendo fan sites because I was a big fan. Didn't have anybody to talk to in school about it because they were all Sony, PlayStation, and Xbox people. Um, but I. I would go home or even just check it out before I go to school. And there was a community of like-minded people. So very early on, it occurred to me that it was 
giving me an ability to shape my life in a way that I want. And it's only continued to to uh, have that impact. And it's much more, way more profound than I, uh, than I could have imagined. Uh, and I know that it had a lot of that for you too, because I know that you were um, teaching yourself how to, how to fish. What I wanted to ask about in specific was the learning part of it, um, because online learning and self-teaching is, I mean, it's a revolution uh, that we're experiencing. So uh, how did you find learning online compared to learning in the classroom? Yeah, for sure. So that's actually a great question because I myself just released uh, a YouTube video where I talked with one of my good friends on how he makes his money on YouTube and Skillshare. So same sort of talks you've had before where um, basically he took a class in university, almost regurgitated it um, and put it out on Skillshare. And now Skillshare pays him eight grand a month, right? For eight that grand. same university cost. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you got it. You're going to have to listen to my my podcast there to hear the story. But yeah, so uh, the online learning. So I also, I have a couple YouTube channels, but one of my side hobbies is fly fishing. And so fly fishing is, a, is uh, it's an interesting, it's a very clicky little sport. It's so it's based on secrecy, right? So it's mm-hmm. all about where to find the fish and, and you can't be sharing it. But I couldn't have anyone to teach me because everyone was being way too secret about it. So I turned to YouTube and I basically taught myself uh, a physical activity sport if you call it outside from watching youtube videos um and now have decided to to give back uh to the community by creating the same sort of thing and and teaching people more about this online community so the online digital learning space is like i started in product sales where i'm selling physical products but i've started to dabble in uh youtube and personal branding now because the, the digital products and the educational learning that's going on online is blowing my mind mm-hmm. with just like my previous businesses, lots of overhead, lots of employees, lots of expenses, digital products, poof, all that's gone, right? So it's like it's the, the business model is blowing my mind. And to think that 10 years ago, you had a little screen in front of you that you could literally learn anything you want for free. Like it might take some time to try to figure it out, but it's free out there. So it's like, what? Like, it's changed my way of how I want to live like my life. It's it's based on now, like, what do you want to do in your life? Because now there's business models where anyone can do it online. It's out there. Like you, you just you have to put in the work, but the business model is out there. So making money from a computer allows you to be a lot more, I guess disconnected from a regular corporate style life. Yeah. I mean, I could, uh, uh, go on and on about like all of the, the, the differences that the internet has made in my life. Um, and for listeners who've like listened to every last episode, thank you. You'll have to excuse the repetition, but that's, it's part of the podcasting space. So like with podcasting with media, didn't see it coming. I didn't think I'd be having the opportunity that I have uh, unfolding before me. And, and it's, it's interesting too, because the last couple of people that I've talked to have all like touched upon the educational space between Skillshare and Udemy. And I could probably set up my own uh, podcasting, um, uh, a class on these things too. Uh, and the reason why I'm saying this is because we're at a point now where if people aren't, um, happy with their lives, assuming that they have internet access they're kind of out of excuses, aren't they? Like it's, if you could, you can be uh, in a, some people can be in a situation where they have, they, they have no help and they're locked down, but if they have the internet, they really do need to find that motivation. So have you, uh, can you, can you speak to 
uh, ways that you found to like reach out to an audience that um, didn't have access to it? And maybe within the, 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 the fishing area, because if it's so secret, how do you get the message out to these people? Yeah, where where would I go with that? So, uh, in terms of the fishing, like how you want me to under basically explain to you how I get my videos out there if it's secretive or or yeah, yeah, yeah. Like oh, and it's maybe it's not so much of an issue now, um, but over time, uh, how one thing important too that I think is worth uh, addressing too is like how how were you able to find it? Were you just like oh, I'm just try looking this up just to see what I can come across? Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, well, like growing up on the internet, right? Like if like I go, I would go out to the physical fly shops, get intimidated, like no one wants to teach me or tell me anything, right? So you go home, Google it, and like there's someone out there who's answered it for you. So spend a bunch of time just trying to learn online whether it's someone in New Zealand who's teaching it on YouTube or it's someone in my local area. So just teaching yourself anything is so easy. Like it might take some time to figure it out, but and there's a lot of crap online you have to wade through in order to find what you need to. But yeah, it's it comes down to motivation. It's how motivated are you to get where you want because it's out there. The model's out there. People are doing it every day. You're talking to people that are doing it every day, right? So yeah, I've completely gone full tilt into describing to as many people as I can that, yes, yeah, like start a personal brand, like start a course on on Skillshare because... But people are changing the way they want to learn. So instead of signing up for a university class uh, to learn how to be a multimedia expert on podcasting, right? They could sign up for your course for 25 bucks and watch it from their comfort of their own home, right? So Exactly. Uh, and you know, with the platforms like Udemy, um, depending on how popular the teacher is, the teacher is is engaged in the students too they will talk to the students and they will totally. help guide them say maybe i just need to reframe this for you they get feedback from the students they improve it um so yeah you know uh is for me just the difference between what my parents went through and what i went through in school it it means a lot to me to see that education uh is something that people can look to throughout their entire lives and they're not constrained to like a 10-year window where they have to like ride or die succeed or 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 sink, yeah, sink or swim. I, I got one more fishing related question for you and then we'll uh, switch gears. Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, so this is a fun question I have. Uh, everybody has uh, taken to this question uh, quite well in different ways. So can you imagine any skills that you learned within your, your, your fishing pursuit that is also translated some way into your uh, e-commerce expertise? Um, yeah, I know you're going to want me to relate it metaphorically, aren't you? I mean, yeah. If, if it's pragmatic, yeah, so you know, go for it. <laughs> I started YouTube with my fishing, actually. And that's honestly what's like, I knew YouTube would be such a large thing. I didn't know necessarily it would be the business model I wanted to go after. So I think I started the channel maybe like two or three years ago. Haven't even haven't gone full time on it. But I just started bringing my camera out with uh, with with myself when I went fishing, uh, because this is what I love doing, right? If I could have a channel, um, on my passion project and could somehow make even a little bit of money from it. Why couldn't I? Right. So started bringing my camera out a few things, getting better at editing, getting better at filming. Um, like it was just better at all this multimedia just because it was my hobby. I like doing it. And then, yeah, a couple years later, next thing you know, I have a small community around me that really enjoys the stuff I'm making. I'm getting paid for it. I'm getting sponsorships and it's like, I didn't even think this was a business mm -hmm. model. I just wanted to just start filming like my passion, right? So 
that's what's led me to rethinking like, okay, like if I imagine going full-time, imagine creating a video a day, like this could be done in, in, in months. So it completely changed the way I thought about multimedia and internet. So like, yeah, fishing was the perfect way to marry, marry your passion Mm -hmm. and, 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 and work and profit. Yeah. And I think what you'll see too, um, is that things that you can continue to learn in the e-commerce space or in the media space can then influence things that you can do, um, with your, your fishing programming and then uh, vice versa. I I haven't found it, um, not for lack of trying, but, uh, are you doing any uh, e-commerce stores where you're, you're selling fishing products? I am actually. Yeah. And so those are some of my most popular. Yeah. It's funny because I, and I, I almost like try to teach that to students as well. It's like, think about the niche like that you're most involved in personally like find products like no one knows that better than you right so it's like it's going to be hard for me to find a winning beauty product unless i'm like a really good drop shipper if i'm not a woman right like or someone who buys beauty products all the time so i i'm like focus on something you're good at you like what do you see like innovate in that market because trying to find that niche like these people just trying to sell like hot products, hot drop shipping products for like two weeks before everyone tries to sell is like, that's not going to do it for you long-term. So yeah, it's much better to try to go in that niche. And like, I'm a fisherman and have been for a long time. So like, I know it's most of the time, <laughs> blue collar, 35 year old to 65 year old men who are buying my products online. And so I know it's like, yeah, you get women to sell it money. So Exactly. <laughs> it's just psychology. And so, yeah, it's just what you know in that niche. And one thing I wanted to comment on with the uh, the winning product videos is I, I, I see your point of view because um, I know like on our Debutify YouTube, we, we do run those videos. The way I see those is I'm keeping my eyes peeled for products that are in my niche. So if they're listing out 10 products, and I, and I go through them and I think, wait a minute, actually, I could, I could sell that one. To me, that's kind of like how I would interpret that. Just then that way, I, I'm trying not to like get, uh, get sucked into the, um, the, the gold rush where people are like competing with one product after yeah, another. Like, oh, so, yeah, the, yeah. The, yeah, the Theragun or the, the back um, straightener or whatever. Yeah, so that's exactly it. Oh, yeah, yeah wanna... the, the posture one. I bought that, by and, the way. Yeah, how was it? Uh, you know, the problem was... Uh, Velcro is that Velcro is good for holding certain things, but there was so much pressure to like actually like straighten my back up that the Velcro kept coming off. So if I were to get one, I would get one that is like fasten based, uh, that can like lock in place. Um, yeah, so uh, I wouldn't recommend a Velcro run. I also, by the way, would also just maybe not recommend them in general. If you're worried about your posture, it's kind of Kind of on the person itself. Yeah. That's why, like, when I, whenever whenever I, I go to bed, I always like lay flat on my back without a pillow, just to kind of like align my spine before I fall asleep. So I take it upon myself. Yeah, I got a bad hunch. Yeah, if, if somebody throws a punch, one of my defensive techniques is to actually just turn to my side, <laughs> and they'll, their fist will sail right nice. past me. That's a good technique. I should try it. But yeah, so like, I, I I'd, fo- I'd focus. Yeah, I talk about focusing on finding products in, in your niche on how you can innovate and, and how you can sort of make a better offering because with internet, like mm-hmm. we're way past the fact of being early in drop shipping. So it's like, if someone wants to try to drop ship, it's out there. So you got to compete with everyone else, but there's a lot of garbage out there and the general population is getting smarter anyway. So it's just like, 
you got to start branding better and, and focusing on giving a better customer experience than just trying to sell knockoff Chinese stuff. Yeah. And you know, I'm, I'm happier being um, aware of it at this point rather than earlier on, just because there's, there's a less compulsion to want to try to jump in and just drop ship something as soon as possible. Yeah. Um, I feel like nowadays there is that breathing room where uh, I do have to like, I, I can't take forever um, if a product hits saturation, but even when products hit saturation, they come in phases. So it can dissipate and then somebody else can innovate with it and bring it back onto the market uh, in a new way. Um, but I, 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 I'm happier in, in this area because I think initially what happened is that everybody saw drop shipping as like the answer to all of life's problems. Uh, and I, I'm just going to drop ship my way to it where it's like, okay, hang on a second. Drop shipping can be the difference between something and nothing. It can be the difference between success and failure, but at the end of the day, it's a fulfillment method. All of the principles of business are still quite prevalent. Um, we need to have strong brands. We need to build trust and we need to, um, be good salespeople and, and, and believe in what we're doing. Some, some masters of it, they can sell whatever they want and more power to them. Uh, but I think for a lot of us, you know, we, we really just want to, to, to sell and use our businesses as an extension of who we are. That's why I, I'm, I'm in the, uh, I got into the, the home office niche yeah. because I've been working remote for like seven yeah. years. I That's like cool. home offices. So it's easy to talk about. Well, like perfect time, right? Now it's like everyone wants to soup up their home office, get some serious equipment going and yeah. I, I've been I've been uh, really excited to ask you about the, your your Dragon's Den experience. Sure, yeah. um, quick buffer: Do you get asked about it a lot? Like, do whenever you, you get to do interviews and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, totally. I do. And then uh, after it was done, I was still on um, a bit of a road trip trade show bender for a few months after. And yeah, it was like felt like a small celebrity because <laughs> everyone. Yeah, uh, everyone would go to these shows and be like, no way, I just watched your episode on TV, right? So it was kind of cool. But uh, now it's it aired in 2018. So now it's been a few years. But uh, yeah, I still get asked about it for sure. So. Yeah. So I, I personally, I have a bit of, um, of, a, of a sticking point with Dragon's Den because I would I would watch it sporadically. I wasn't like a dedicated person or anything like yeah. that. But I, I, it's such an intense show yeah. because people's passions and what they love is on the line. And this one group comes in and he, we brought a bunch of people in different professions. There was like a hockey player, a lawyer, uh, like a librarian, um, engineer. And he had this idea for a show called American Heroes, where every episode they would help somebody in need by building them a house. And the dragons ripped into him. <laughs> one, of the, one of the dragons said, this is the worst idea I've ever seen. Nothing personal, right. but it's the worst idea I've ever seen. And... And, and I and I and I thought about that show, and I thought, you know, maybe building a house episode after episode wasn't the best track, but maybe if like each episode they had different challenges, so then that way the different people on the show could excel. Like some episodes, the hockey player would be the hero, right. and the next one, the lawyer would be the hero. So I think with some tinkering, that idea could have been really strong. And they didn't. And I don't know. I. It, it always kind of like uh, sat with me. Fair, yeah. So whenever, so whenever I watch uh, these uh, these pitches, I'm I'm thinking like, you know, I hope that even if they're they're rejected or if even they have like a really hard experience, there's a positive takeaway for them to come out of it even stronger. But I assume there's some there's some stuff you can't disclose contractually. Uh, but I would love to know like the behind the scenes experience and what 
you know, how you like you, you got to the pitch phase and how you sure. Yeah. As much as you can share really. Totally. Yeah. Uh, so to give the viewers a little background university, uh, I met a business partner where our business was, he would purchase red wine barrels, uh, after they were used to create wherever in, I think he used to purchase them from uh, Summerland in BC. So we'd purchase red wine barrels, bring them in, and he would turn them into smokers, like meat smokers. So for people who love smoking meat, you would get the flavor of the wine in your meat when you would smoke. So it was a crazy product. It We only had it around for about a year until we realized like we can't insure this product um, because if we it's a wooden smoker. And if we light someone's house on fire, like that's going to be, that's going to be company ruining. Right? right. So from that, we basically turned it into furniture and decor because people loved these wine and whiskey barrel furniture pieces, um, furniture and decor pieces. So we made everything from coffee tables to, uh, wine bottle displays to glass displays to liquor cabinets, all out of these barrels. So pretty cool business model. We did right out of university. We all went full time with it. I think we did like maybe a hundred grand with the company the first year out of business. So we were all stoked about it. We barely paid ourselves anything, but uh, we knew we were growing and people loved it. So the second year we got a location in Calgary where we started building uh, all of our product full time, doubled our sales again that year, grew and then just went on a serious grind of, I was part of doing all the e-commerce. So our website, online sales, all that marketing, all the advertising. I had a business partner that was focusing on wholesale as well. So selling um, to large big box stores. So we were growing extremely fast. And then we heard uh, that Dragon's Den would be coming to film in, in Calgary. Oh, I didn't know that they do the traveling. That makes sense. So though. sorry, yeah. um, they would be doing the audition filming. So not the actual oh, okay, film, okay. Uh, not the actual Dragon's Den filming. So uh, a couple of the executive producers go to each city before they start and they do these auditions. So anyone can audition. So it was like a few months out, the business started exploding. The following year, we I think we did like 800K worth of our furniture and decor. So we knew going into Dragon's Den, we're like, we got the sales, like they're not going to rip us apart. We know what we're talking about. So we went mm-hmm. to the audition. Uh, it was just actually... Uh, basically a gatekeeper. The first audition was just a gatekeeper who kind of just hears what business you have, how much you've done in sales, and there's a big lineup. So then maybe two or three days after we initially went to the first one, we got a call back saying, okay, the executive director's in town and they want to watch your pitch because now this is going to be the choice on who goes to Toronto to film the actual. So, So we go back in, we bring our products and we pitch to the executive director and yeah, basically just tried to give them more numbers. Like we're all like, we know Dragon's Den, like we know what they're about. So it's just, here's our sales numbers. We're killing it. This is our projections. They invited us to go to Toronto, but they don't pay for anything, right? And so if you were to go to Toronto and film, only half of everyone that films actually gets on air. So it's like, we had to outlay, I think, five or $6,000 to get us there with all of our product and get us back just for a 50-50 shot of getting on air. So it was like interesting, but we're like, we got to do it, right? We got to try our shot for, for Dragon's Den. So we were in Toronto and it's a funny story, but we didn't even practice our pitch 
for the actual Dragon's Den until the day before, like the day we landed in Toronto. The day before is when we were like, okay, we should probably figure out what we're going to pitch. So yeah, we went in and we basically killed it. Did you, were you able to watch the pitch? I watched the I watched the whole thing. Yeah, nice. Yeah, so we went in. We did really well. They loved the product. Uh, we had them arguing um, over over deals. I think we were in the den itself for like just under an hour, and they cut it into seven mm-hmm. minutes. So it was like it couldn't. So it couldn't have gone better. We shook hands with them. We left. We got a deal. Uh, we also got a deal for more than what we asked for, which was mm-hmm. awesome. Um, and then basically after that, we still were then told to be completely quiet. Couldn't say if we got a deal, couldn't say anything. I think it was like three months later, like months, three months later, they finally called three called months. us and were like, okay, yeah, like your episode will air. Um, you can tell people now. So it was pretty wild. Like we had a big, we had a big uh, viewing party in Calgary, and yeah, it was, it was, it was great. It was, it, it blew up. So yeah, open book. Ask me whatever questions you want. We so part of our actual, and I left this part out on purpose. But Brett Wilson, if you know Dragons Den, was a previous dragon years ago. He uh, he had heard that we were going to go on Dragons Den, and he he wasn't a dragon. So he gave us a call up before, and he was kind of like. I don't want to ruin it for you, but this is what Dragon's Den is actually like. It's just for show. Everything's for show. Like, And we're like, yeah, we kind of knew that. So he's like, just go in there, do awesome, and just like use it as a big old marketing uh, explosion for your brand. And we're like, okay, sweet. So we went in just trying to get a deal. And then as soon as we got home, within those three months before we were, uh, we heard if it was um, gonna go on air or not we went to our bank and we said uh, this is the deal they're offering us and uh, they said we'll give you the same amount for five percent so we said okay let's just self-finance let's not give up any equity so we didn't end up taking the deal anyway okay so i i want to be uh clear on this for my own sake so the previous dragon says that it's all for show now does that mean that the offer that they give you like you don't actually get to take it or you can take it i'm sorry i'm just totally, i'm not 100 yeah. percent on what happened there. and yeah here it is and i hate to ruin dragons then if anyone's a big fan but for instance we shook hands with manjeet mm-hmm. in that season she shook hands with 60 businesses six zero mm-hmm. at like a hundred thousand each like there's uh, that seems a little that's, that's seems a lot a little of yeah. off here so anyways yeah so uh, Brett basically told us, he said, um, even if you get a deal, only 5% of them actually make it on paper. So with that being said, how many effing deals do they make on TV, right? To know that none of them actually yeah. go through. It's just all TV, but that's TV, that's showbiz, baby, right? So uh, I will say I didn't know that. Um, I did think that the the deals were legit. Um, I'm not I'm not a heartbroken or anything. I'm 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 fascinated. Uh I'm I'm actually like motivated now just to come up with a completely absurd business model just to go yeah. in there and to like, oh uh, yeah, so, uh, so, so, so check this yeah. out. So you always lose your left sock. So we sell the left sock and then we got to sell the business where we sell the right sock. So just, just and then you get it. lit up and then you get famous and then yeah. you'd sell a million. That's like, that's what you have. It's, it's 
Like the dragons are there for their own publicity, right? Like they want to go in and throw around a ton of money, look like they're huge entrepreneurs and they're investing in all these businesses when it, in actuality, it's like they're there for TV too. So so two questions about that. One of them uh, is with the, the 6000 or so dollars that you guys had to spend to to be there, uh, we, I, I figured you guys write that off on your taxes as a business yeah, expense. Yeah, as a business expense, yeah. But I yeah, mean, that checks out. It'd be nice for them to be like, we'll pay for you, but we totally get it. Like, yeah. For, yeah. Well, maybe if like, if, you, if you're accepted, we'll, we'll, we'll reimburse you. Like, like you got to win. Or, to like, I, I don't Yeah. It was just like something along those lines. Yeah. We were kind of, it's Canadian television. Yeah. We we're kind of so like, that. shit, that's how much it's going to cost us. Like, yeah, like, whatever. Let's do it. Let's do it for the for the experience. Yeah, and then so it's it goes for an hour, and then it's cut down to the the seven minute sequence. I mean, how much like deliberation is going on throughout that hour? Is it like people are taking breaks to go get a sandwich, or no, like is it no, actually like, like an we hour long? Talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like questions back and forth, hour long. Um, mm-hmm. So the the only thing that's scripted in every pitch is like the first like two and a half, three minutes, right? It's like who we are, what we're here for, how much we're asking, what we do. And then it's just questions. So yeah, I was just like going back and forth in questions. And like, we absolutely killed all the questions. Like there was nothing negative. So it's like, there's no way an editor could cut this to make it look bad. So they, they, they tried by the way. Um, Cause with my, with my, my keen uh, editing sense. So when, Usually things start to go awry, like when they ask about yeah. the 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 margins or something like that. Uh, and then they started to do that sequence where the dragons, little by little, are starting to say, oh, I'm out, I'm out. And it goes, kung, yeah. kung. No, so it's like, funny. Okay. I, it's, I'm, I'm almost try. losing yeah. my memory on it because it's been a few years ago and I've watched the episode. And I'm thinking the episode was actually how it went. But it, they cut it up and put it in so many different ways. It's not actually how like the deliberation went on the dragons jumping in and out. So it was just it, like, yes, that happened. But the, the sequence of events were obviously just made to be as, as entertaining as possible. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think anybody uh, uh, keen on going, I'm probably still going to go anyways because, yeah. like we said, it's it's a glo- it's a it's a huge platform. It's a way to uh, to it's it's still a pitch in the sense that you're pitching it, and they're just like the the foils to um, ask the questions that other uh, businesses, other investors would want to ask oh, in, yeah, in like, a way that broadens it out to everybody. So it's still totally worth doing, I would imagine. Exactly, yeah. And I tried to pull like a little bit of Andy Mattress with the footage as well. But like that night it aired, I think we sold like 20K in furniture and then another 10K <laughs> the next night. So it was like, it paid for itself immediately already. And then yeah. I took that footage of us on Dragons then turned it into like that same sort of Andy ad and then ran ads to all the people that came to our website that night and made money out of it. So it, it was like, pr- it was profitable for us to do at the end of the day, for sure. And then the experience and all the footage we had to, to, uh, advertise with. Oh, I gotta say, thank you for sharing that with me. That's something that I really wanted to know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a cool experience. Hopefully I didn't ruin it for you, but, uh, you changed it for me. <laughs> yeah, it's changed. Now, yeah, now it's not ruined. It, 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 like, I, I'm actually having like a slightly more positive takeaway. Uh, from it more than anything. Now, now you know, yeah. right? Now you're yeah, a little bit sharper than them. Yeah, because it, it does, 
make a lot of sense. Like that is a lot of hands to shake over the course of a year. Like that's a lot of, even if they're all uh, profitable how businesses, that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. How many seasons? Exactly. Like seven yeah. seasons, 50 deals each for a hundred grand. Like no way you're made of that kind of money lady. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that checks out. All right, so let's uh, let's shift gears. I want to talk about some of what you've um, talked about on your YouTube channel. Usually, what I try to do is I like to find some uh, distinct uh, content that um, makes you stand out from a lot of the other people I've talked to. And you would think that it's gotten harder at this point with all the people that I've talked to, but as a matter of fact, it's actually gotten well. It hasn't okay? So it hasn't gotten easier, but it has continued to be um, an effective means because, as I understand it better, I'm more keen now at like picking out. Uh, things that are distinct or specific. Um, so, totally. so one thing I actually need you to do uh, a favor for me and my uh, and our and our Canadian um, brethren and and sisterin, sisterin, Canadian siblings, um, is sure. ha- ha- for for running your your online stores. How do you ha- handle shipping from within Canada? Do you have to do anything different from the Americans, or like how do how do you deal with shipping? One of my stores, I just drop ship straight from China, and then my other store, I I, I send my inventory to ShipBob down in the states. Um, that fulfillment centers, because believe it or not, it, it costs me less to send myself a package from Chicago to my house, um, with UPS than it is to send it from South Calgary to North Calgary with Canada post. It's like ridiculous, right? It costs me $5 a shipment from Chicago compared to like 15, $20 just to go across the city here in Canada. So like Canada's Mm. shipping is garbage but the only the only positive with that is that everyone living in canada knows that they have to pay for shipping so it's like they get that a 15 dollars shipping charge is understandable you're not going to have as as big a drop off uh, because they know shipping like that is in canada unless you have amazon prime so um with that being said yeah i i rarely try to take anything in in house i want to be sustain from my computer and have expenses i don't want to have employees or overhead right. so um send the product to uh ship bob or uh i have a couple amazon fba stores just small ones um where i send some of the fishing equipment as well too so yeah yeah what, what for those of you who uh, haven't lived or even visited canada it's expensive to be here we pay we pay more for food. Uh, our phone bills. Uh, well, this is what, what my friend was telling me. Maybe you can substantiate this, but we have some of the most expensive internet phone charges, bills. Yeah. Internet, yeah, yeah. We're 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 spread up. We have a lot of space. We're not as packed in as the U.S. So yeah, it's a bit more expensive for yeah. And shipping is tough. Shipping is tough to have an online business and um, just an even better reason to start digital products, right? Zero shipping costs. Uh, you know, so why don't we uh, get into that? Uh, can you uh, tell me like what digital products you're working on right now and where they're fitting into your overall picture? Yeah, for sure. So it's just been recently, um, I've been speaking with, uh, I've started to try to build some, some podcast, uh, content for myself as well. Started to speak to some people in my network, just who are doing the same thing and doing really well. Um, and most of them, it's that Udemy Skillshare. Like it's still like, it's like they use YouTube as an organic platform to market themselves. And it's like three or four videos into YouTube. Someone will figure out your personality and decide if they trust you or not. So it's like when you give them the option to sign up for Skillshare, 
for free, they get two weeks free. And if you say you can finish my course in two weeks, well, that's a pretty like good offering, right? To For someone to be like, I can get your whole course for free. And so Skillshare pays you 10 bucks US every person you sign up and then probably another 20 to 30 bucks when they go through your course. So you just got 40 bucks from Skillshare and this person thinks they got all that for free. So like that's a pretty good like offering. And so they've been using their YouTube channels to just drive all the traffic. And it's like, yeah, like there's, I ha- I know people that are doing exam prep. Like I just uploaded some of my fly fishing uh, how-to videos. So it's like all over the place. It's just like when someone signs up for Skillshare, they pay a monthly, I think it's 20 bucks or something like that a month. And then they can access as many courses as they want. Right. And so ah. it's like Skill- Skillshare pays the 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 creators or the teachers based on watch time. So it's like you'll get a cut of them signing up, you'll get half of their sign up, and then we'll give you uh the money for your watch time. So it's like yeah, the video I just filmed, the guy's making 12k a month, eight or nine of it's coming from Skillshare and the other three is coming from ad revenue. So it's like it's a pretty sick business model. He says he wakes up, does a couple trades, films a video, uploads it and that's his day right so Mm. it's like pretty solid where it's much harder the funnel is much larger to try to sell someone on your digital product compared to a physical product people can see a physical product they know the value they know what it's worth to them um but with that comes a lot of issues surrounding um fulfillment and your back end and who's paying and who's shipping and excuse me all that stuff right so it's dropshipping is easier to get into just selling products, especially like uh, winning products because people just see it and want to purchase it and they see the value where now a lot of people are trying to sell courses and be gurus and stuff like that, but it's going to be the most authentic content wins. And as long as you're like providing value, you know, your audience. So I talk about a lot of Shopify stuff, but it's not for anyone who has been dropshipping for years, right? It's not for expert dropshippers. It's for the beginner. So I don't provide value to the experts. That's fine. I provide value to people who who come in and don't know this um, because I would like to give up-to-date information um, because I know when I'm searching for it, it's like I might see a video that's three years old and has, I don't know, 50,000 views. But if I see one that's a month old and has a few thousand views, I'm probably going to pick the one that's quicker uh, or released sooner, right? Because stuff online is changing all the time and I want to get the most up-to-date strategy. So yeah, just that kind of stuff. Yeah. And uh, and one point that was raised in the previous uh, recording with uh, Alex uh, Gennadinik was that you can have like the, the top level experts in their field, uh, but for them to teach beginners, it's not really a good arrangement for either side because the experts aren't compelled. They're just... I don't know. I mean, for them, they're on autopilot. Well, like, yeah, who wants to teach? Yeah, the beginning level, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's just like consumer. It's just people. It's education is leaving the schools and it's going to people teaching people. So it's like, why wouldn't you want to learn how to fly fish with by someone who does that every weekend, right? Compared to just like paying five hundred dollars and having to pay a guide or whoever. So yeah, Skillshare. I a lot of people are scared to try to start courses or personal brands because they don't feel like experts in the matter. Mm-hmm. Where I'm like, that couldn't be so far off. Like, 
you don't have to be an expert. You just have to know more than someone else. And you'll be so much so surprised with maybe what you think um, you might know more than more than the next person, right? Yeah. So, and even so, it's also, it's also an opportunity to learn too. Like if I'm trying to put together a course, it might raise questions or it might, I might find holes in my own body of knowledge that I wouldn't have thought before because I wasn't, I, I don't, I don't lecture myself at least well, no, not too often. Like I said, I am laying awake at night, <laughs> lying on my mirror. back without yeah. a pillow. So there's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, had to, I had to have a nap earlier today. And like, as soon as I came out of my nap, my cortisol just like right back to work. Like, come on guys, come on. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But yeah, so exactly. So it's just like, even with your podcasting, like you probably know a lot more about microphones and headphones and like systems and OBS that any, like, you know how many people want to start a podcast these days, but didn't, don't have a clue where to start, right? It's like, you might not have been doing this for 10 years and have a Joe Rogan podcast, but it's like, you know, more than a lot of people just getting into it. So like values value, you're not scamming people if they get value out of it. And and that's where gurus have kind of ruined the online learning space partially because it's like authenticity will always come out, but they have sort of gone the spamming route where people don't have thought now, Oh, online classes are just spammy and overpriced and stuff like that. But value is value, right? If you give the people what they want and they're willing to pay that price, then who are you to say? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so it's, it's there's a there's a point there worth raising about the trust in institution, um, which frankly isn't all that there anyways. Because when people sign up for school um, and they're looking to get their degrees, it does depend. Obviously, there's lots of uh, vocations and professions that are correct to be in school, doctors and getting into trades. When people want to sign up for online courses, they're like, well, you know, what what's what are the what are the bona fides of this person, right? What, why should I trust this person? And if it goes wrong, well, you know, am I going to, am I going to get my refund or did I like miss it? So it, it, it can, it can go awry either way, but I would say that in the, in the private realm, what we're talking about here, I think people are held a lot more accountable because there is public discourse. People can do online reviews. They can talk about their experience on Twitter. All it takes is like, you know, one Instagram post to go viral and a person, people are going to start to question um, the legitimacy of the uh, quote unquote gurus. Um, one other thing too, that I thought was really funny is, um, you know, there's that traditional, like they're holding up the camera, uh, their, their, their phone and they're walking around their mansion. And I am dying to see somebody do a spoof on that where they're selling like a legit program, but they're in like a back alley where they're, (laughs) (laughs) or they, they trip over a trash can or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, no. uh, Yeah. I get it too. And and that's why it's almost like it's up to the, each individual to check the boxes, like do their due diligence on these uh, gurus, right? Like watch some YouTube videos. I feel like I'm a pretty, like I can figure out people like decently enough to know if I'm going to get scammed or if this is real. And, and that's why giving more value than asking for like might be the way to do it in this in this 2021 right is producing youtube videos that give people value first and foremost and like finding those like yeah that it's such a good offering that skillshare is such a good offering right now if you set up a course because it's like they get offered all that info all that value for free but you get paid for it so it's like 
that's where the legitimacy is coming from now is, is that even though Skillshare is maybe not like a university, there's classes that have thousands of reviews by other people, right? And it's like now people are being held accountable to people. And it's like as long as the vast majority believes they got value out of it, then probably will as well. Yeah. And uh, I, this is a good as good a time as any because there was a YouTube video I wanted to ask you about in specific where – you, it's really stood out to me because you were able to generate, uh, was it 7,000 K in revenue, um, without ad spend, um, which that's kind of like, that's been a pa- at this point, that is the pattern interrupt. Cause we all recognize the importance of advertising and we recognize that we have to spend money on it. Now there's also the element of a oh, hold on a second. You didn't just like pull this out of thin air. There were prerequisites in order to be able to pull this off. Um, so would you be willing to uh, share the experience with us and how you're able to accomplish it? Yeah, for sure. So like when I got into marketing or e- even online or digital marketing back in, yeah, I think I graduated in 2009, 2010. Yeah. Um, everyone was still on about email marketing and, and the list, right? Money's in the list. So the majority of your marketing dollars should be spent trying to grow your list. Um, And a lot of online gurus are talking about email marketing, not this Facebook advertising kind of thing yet, right? It wasn't this Insta buy. It was more like build your list, build your list, build your list. So yeah, so like early on, whatever business I was doing, I've started to do that, build build an email list, but with proper flows and drip campaigns coming out of them. So like before you set up any of these campaigns, just spend a day writing out four or five emails that might go to these people before you ever ask them to buy something or as soon as they sign up to your list, right? Tell them about yourself, give them a bunch of value. And so it's like making these drip campaigns, creating actual value for people when they go to your website um, is a lot easier when it comes time for like Black Friday, Cyber Monday, any kind of like people love deals. So it's like you create a list big enough that even at a 1% conversion rate, you're making money. So it's like, I kind of titled that video, obviously for YouTube being clickbait, but it's like full blown. Yeah. It's a strategy. Email marketing is still around, like build your list. People know about you. They feel more comfortable with you. Like people think, like drop shipping, everyone thinks, oh yeah, people will just see my ad once on Facebook and purchase. And like that happens maybe like rare, like rarely does that happen where there's a product someone's willing to buy instantly like that. Right. Other products, especially higher ticket products, they take more touch points, right? It's like, I'm not trying to go on Facebook and sell someone a $1,200 coffee table. No one's going to buy that the first time they see it, right? Like, don't know this guy, not going to drop my that kind of money on it. A lot of this has to also uh, tie into one of the terms that you've used in the video. Um, I think you you also said it in your Etsy, uh, one of your Etsy videos as well. Uh, at least I think there's multiple because I know I just looked at one um, because you talk about the customer journey and uh, and a yeah. lot of what you're describing here ties into that where yeah you the, yeah you cannot get a, you cannot reasonably expect a customer to to blow twelve hundred dollars on something without uh, any uh, further investment and well I mean. I don't know, I'm or sure even there's just some hearing about you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's hard. Um, so how did you like, I, I'm surprised that I hadn't really heard somebody use the term customer journey before, or maybe it's getting to the point where some startup is starting to leak out the other side. I wouldn't be surprised, but um, how did you like uh, come across the idea of the customer journey? And so generally, what do you do to uh, implement it? Also a good question. Cause I Thank was um, in coming out of university, like 
drop shipping, right? Like, oh, that's the dream. Just like sell shit from China to Americans and make millions. So what I don't think I realized right away is that like there's a certain threshold, like very not many uh, drop shipping stores have an average order like under or sorry, over a hundred bucks. Cause that's mm-hmm. a lot more of an investment for people, right? People don't buy that instantly as often. So when I got into meeting my business partner and selling these higher ticket items, I think that's sort of, I got smacked in the face when I started advertising and like, why isn't anyone buying it? It's like, maybe it's way too fucking expensive. So they're mm-hmm. not going to see it once and want to buy it. Right. So instead this is where, yeah, I got my experience in customer journey where it's like, Hmm. Instead, why don't I just create a bunch of content in the business, whatever the piece of content did the best, or I'd have people like the most, I would take that piece of content and advertise that because I already knew it's going to do really well. So I'd advertise that piece of content. And then of course, when anyone likes the piece of content, you're able to invite them back to like your page. And I just started doing that, growing the page more organically, posting more in Facebook, contacting these people, seeing that like word of mouth. And when you contact your own customers and they're doing saying, Oh, that's awesome. And they're posting pictures of the product to your page. It just starts building the trust organically. And so then it's like, Mm -hmm. maybe you forgot about my company a month later, but because you're still on my email list, now it's black Friday, cyber Monday. Hey, you remember me, you trust me, you know, people think good stuff about me. Now you have a budget to purchase my uh, coffee table, right? So then I would retarget people because I could get them retargeted because of how many times I've already touched them. And they've gone through the journey of what our business is about, what they support it. And now it's just money. T- it's just like, there's a few days a year we just made awesome. Cause we had like 10, 10,000 e- person email lists, like in the first year. And it just like doubled, tripled because yeah, our secret was give away something in, in return for an email. <laughs> and like, we'd be like giving away a coffee table, which would be like 1200 bucks. And we'd get like 2000 emails. So it was like, Holy shit. We'll just then send an email to those 2000 people and sell 10 more coffee tables that will just pay for that one. So it was kind of like just growth hacking that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, the, the most expensive thing that I've bought online so far um, I don't know if you've seen these or not, but it's this uh, portable monitor um, from this company called Desk Lab. Okay. And this was like er- early in my ability to uh, comprehend the e-commerce space. And it was like uh, 400, 400 bucks for a touchscreen monitor. The The thing for me, uh, speaking from the perspective of a customer, is that I really wanted a touchscreen monitor. Um, I had a number of reasons, some of which were game related, but not all of them. Yeah. And the the i i knew that i was the target market for and so they did keep targeting me and they kept being on my mind but what they didn't do was they didn't really give me a chance to get my email or anything like that they just kept advertising yeah cuz cuz they knew that i was like highly intuitive like i really really wanted this thing um down the line i've seen other companies now they're they're selling it too it's it's hilarious seeing like what some of these people try to get away with it's not called desk lab to them. To them, it's like uh, Porta Mana or something like that. I just pulled that off out of thin air. But I, I see the, the the desk lab monitor with the name on it still on the on the commercial. Like it, it makes me laugh. Like, like what some of these people are trying to get away with. And what it does too is also makes me wonder. Like, well, if that's them doing that, then 
desk lab make these or did they also get from manufacturer and were they the ones that were like drop shipping your product before somebody else was i don't know the, like the whole world is basically run on drop shipping and it's like so yeah this will blow your mind i didn't even mention it but when i was with my selling this furniture and decor we got approached by wayfair um the bay.com like walmart jet like all like so they wanted to onboard us onto their online websites they didn't want to purchase any of our products beforehand they wanted to put our products on their website under a different brand name and then anytime we sold it we would drop ship for them so i was literally like we were creating our own products in a warehouse in calgary drop shipping for wayfair so that's what Wayfair does. Wayfair like might hold a select amount of SKUs, but the majority of all their products are just basically people they've jumped through hoops enough to put their products on Wayfair that gets drop shipped from. So I wasn't we weren't allowed to put any of our branding on any of our products when we sent it to Wayfair customers. We had to send it out within 24 hours or else we got strikes. So it's like we were I was drop shipping like I, I was the supplier. I was drop shipping as a supplier, like before I tried doing it the other way around. So the whole world was like that. My my past sales job, it was uh well, they called it sourcing. They didn't call it drop shipping, but what they would do is we would have relationship with different authorized dealers for luxury watches oh, yeah, okay. and customers, and so they would go to the website and they would see, oh, this this Rolex uh, GMT fifty is available. So they'd call and. I couldn't just say yes because technically we didn't have it. So I said, "Well, so is this in stock right now?" I says, mm, "Well, good babe. okay, actually, yeah. obviously, I didn't do that, <laughs> but that's what I was going on in my head." And uh, and I have to explain the process, and they'd be like, "Okay, well, you know, why don't I get my watch?" Um, so yeah, like I, I was I was doing that too. I didn't it didn't occur to me, but I know it's a sign of just how like interconnected the uh, the global market is. Yeah, and if. I get emails all the time. Like, I didn't know this was coming from China. Like, this is bullshit. Like I'm never ordering from you again. I, I love just emailing them back. Like, do you shop at Walmart? Or it's like most of the time at the very bottom of their email, it's like sent from iPhone. <laughs> it's like, Oh my God. Yeah. Like you have to be. Yeah. IQ level 50 to send messages like that. Like, I don't want your Chinese garbage sent from iPhone. It's like, oh man, you're out to lunch. It just comic yeah. crap out of my out yeah, of my house. Exactly. So yeah. yeah, you'll always have haters, but like, yeah, we're so interconnected now. If it's like, if if it can come from China in two days, then like, who cares? If that's what you want, you get what you want. Then who cares where it's coming from? That's in my mind. I'm a very like e-commerce, so all the shop local people might hate me for that one. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm 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 a mix. Like, I, I will try to support local businesses if I can, because um, I like I do I do like experience, and it's nice to get get on my feet and go for a walk. Uh, but it's a blend. Sometimes I'll buy from big boxes. Sometimes I'll, I, I when I bought my TV for Black Friday, I deliberately said I gotta support some Canadian, so I ordered from Canada Computers. I was like, I'm not getting my TV off Amazon. <laughs> I'm not giving them that win. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. Um, we're, uh, we're essentially out of time cause I know we, I don't have you for too much longer. So before we, uh, get you on Addy here, I also want to make sure that whenever people do like those, like limited time drop shipping ex- challenges, yeah. uh, that I just like, hear about your experience because it's important to, for, for, I want our listeners to hear these stories because for people who like me are taking forever to get started, I want to hear what you were able to pull off in 12 hours. Oh, so like that. 
challenge was just to get the first sale in in 12 hours. Okay. So yeah, oh, okay. so typically like in any of my dropshipping stores that I start, I test products and I don't expect to be profitable at, like anytime soon. I just hope to break even enough that I can fill my pixel with enough data to get into lookalike audiences. So it's like if I can be profitable, that's awesome. So with that being said, it's like, man, I'm usually like, and a lot of people don't understand this, but sometimes I spend five to 10 grand at just break even before I get into the right pixel data to actually go profitable. Beginner dropshippers don't want to hear that, that they got to spend five grand at just scraping in hopes they'll get the right data out of it, right? So sometimes people hit products right away that do awesome. And sometimes they don't, right? Like I'm a proponent of like knowing Facebook's pretty smart. They know how to target. So um, as long as I'm making sales and it's at my break even, I'm fine to continue feeding my pixel data. Uh, So with that being said, those 12 hour challenges are kind of like, yeah, a lot of people are scared to drop ship. So that's like, I don't expect to make a lot of money out of that store, especially when I give away the store or whatever I'm selling. I, I do it just to be like, Look, like I know I've been doing this for a while, but if I can create the store and advertisements and and whatever and get it out in a day, like what's stopping everyone else, right? Like that, like that's the right. That's the easy part is setting up a store and testing a product or try to find a product, right? Like that's the fun part is all that stuff. The hard part is like spending the money, like trying to get the money back, like dealing with customers who aren't getting their products. Like it's like setting up the whole distribution strategy and how it's getting there. And it's like, that's, what's frustrating. It's like people can get into it, but if you actually want to make good money drop shipping, it's like, it's not easy. It's like, it takes a lot, but just to get started, like to get your first sale. Yeah. You can slap together a website, grab some pictures and set out a, I think all I, I think all I spent was supposed to be 50 bucks a day on Facebook. And I got a, the first sale for 90 bucks. So like I was profitable day one. I didn't even let it run because like I do multiple of these challenges all the time and not too interested mm-hmm. in trying to test more and more products, more just trying to film these videos because people, people like that video. It did really well for me. So um, I might try to do more of those, more of those challenges, but yeah, for you, like I really want you to focus on, look at your niche, try to innovate, like don't follow all these people that are just trying to sell the same product on Facebook and it, stealing each other's ads. And it's just, it looks so bad right and it's like it can happen but yeah that it's tough it's it's that initial buy so you need like there's a few things that people need to know in order to get their product on a platform like facebook it has to look trustworthy you have to look like you're the original seller of the product has to look like they can get it in time if they want to contact you through email or number so it's like there's a lot that go into it just to get started like just to play around as your as your side hobby, right? Maybe it does really good. Maybe it gives you a four times ROAS. Like, may, like who knows? So I test products all the time. Some do well. Sometimes I lose money. But I thought I'm just going to do a little challenge because it's like if I see an advertisement on Facebook, I almost guarantee I could make sales of that advertisement. But it's not going to be very long. And it's just like a race to the bottom. It's just like you're buying up the same ad space from them. You're not differentiated in any way. It's not going to last a long time for you. So right now I'm focusing on uh, custom manufacturing some products that almost make it another step, another hoop for people to jump through um, if they were to try to copy me. But um, 
I think that's I, I what's the term drop branding. I think that's the new term instead of you can still ship from wherever, but it's more about like private labeling, getting your own brand kind of thing for people to be behind. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's new for me. I haven't heard that term before, but as you say, it's more like, yeah, it's a I, I don't thing. even know if it's a term. I've, I've seen it on some of the, on YouTube a few times or on some of the Reddit platforms. It makes sense. Drop branding because it's like people aren't buying from these, uh, garbage general stores anymore. They're buying from full blown blend jet. <laughs> that looks like they make those blenders, which they of course don't, but everyone thinks they do. Right. So. All right, Torin, we got to get you on out of here. Uh, I just want to say thank yeah, you for uh, everything you've opened, opened my eyes. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. That's why you do it. Exactly. So the final question before we can get you on out of here, if you have any final words of wisdom, not that you haven't given us plenty already, but just anything else that you'd like to share with people, uh, this is the chance to do it and then let people know how they can uh, get engaged sure, with you. Yeah. Um, above every, anything, I think in order to be successful, it's just being motivated it's not the smartest person's not going to win it's whoever's motivated to get there so um just start just start failing i failed a lot you lose money but it's whoever's motivated to get there if there's people doing it the business model exists you're able to do it just get out be motivated and, and don't stop so i think that's a perfect way to finish it if any of you guys are interested in any kind of e-commerce jazz i'm into you can uh reach me at my website at torrenhoffman.com or on uh on youtube i also talk a bunch about that kind of stuff so appreciate you having me on the podcast and yeah hopefully we can touch base again soon i look forward to it it's been fantastic all right everybody you know what to do look into uh, his content and then uh, get in touch with us if you have anything you want to share with us that's podcast at debutify.com and we will check in soon take care Thanks for listening. You might have found this show on many number of platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoy this content and want to help us thrive, please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you. So whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at Debutify.com or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to Debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next. <laughs>